What Do We Do? A podcast discussing wealth management and financial planning. Introducing listeners to the leaders in our community. Hosted by the founder and CEO of Great Lakes Wealth, Dewey Steffen. Alongside WWJ Midday News anchor, Brooke Allen. Hey, I'm Brooke Allen. Our goal with the What Do We Do podcast is to educate listeners on topics that impact your financial growth, your retirement, and your lifestyle. And I'm Dewey Steffen. Join us twice a month as we welcome some of today's leaders in the community for conversations that can help with investment decisions so you can plan for and live your best life. Here's Dewey Steffen alongside Brooke Allen. Hey, I'm Brooke Allen. Thank you so much for being with us on the What Do We Do podcast. Of course, this is season two, episode seven, number 49. And always uh, so much fun to be here at Great Lakes Wealth with Dewey himself. Hey, Dewey. Brooke, it's great to see you. you episode too. 49. We're cruising right along. Unbelievable. Fantastic. <laughs> so happy to be here. No, it's great. And you know what? It, the guests that we have are always uh, pretty entertaining. And the biggest part about our guests is that they're a community leader and they always share so much knowledge and not so much wealth with us, but at least the knowledge, right? And that's what they're here for. Absolutely. The What Do We Do podcast is all about community, Brooke. You know this and I knew this. All of our podcast listeners, our YouTube viewers, they understand this, but we can't say it loud enough and echo it from you know mountaintop to mountaintop, if you will. But What Do We Do is all about community. We strive to be a leader in the community ourselves, but by bringing on guests... And today we have a very special guest. I am so excited that he's here. But by bringing on guests, we have other leaders in the community that we can lean on. And these community leaders always have a story to tell, they have knowledge to share, and they have advice to give. And then if we can get them on our show, which again, we have an amazing guest today, they can share with us their story, their information, and It'll help us all. It really will. So I'm excited for today's guest. Oh, yeah, definitely. And you know what? The whole idea behind it of them sharing their their knowledge, right? Because then we learn something, but then it's about the community and connecting the community as well. Absolutely. And uh, it takes a village, right? So with that, I would like to introduce today's guest. Is that okay, bro? It is. Go ahead. Fantastic. Well, I'm proud to introduce a good friend of mine, Mark Reith. Mark is currently the president of Atwater Brewery. Mark, welcome to the What Do We Do podcast. It is great to be here. Well, we're excited to have you, my friend, and uh, we'll get into all the stories and our backstory, you know, throughout the episode. But with that, rather than me tell your story, if you don't mind, why don't you just start, you know, from your upbringing here in Metro Detroit and kind of your story, and then we'll get into uh, all the good stuff. Sounds great. Once again, it's great to be here. Uh, Love what you're doing. And uh, when you reached out, said, absolutely, let's go. Uh, so, you know, born and raised in, in Metro Detroit, um, actually born and raised in Detroit first. Uh, then I spent some time in Gross Point, went to high school at uh, Gross Point North and uh, graduated, went to Michigan State, uh, graduated there in 89 in a business degree and uh, was walking around trying to find a job uh, at a an event at Michigan State and said, hey, boy, let's go in there because there's some free food. And uh, got a chance to meet the people from Toyota Motor Sales, and they were hiring and said, uh, hey, would you like to move out to Southern California? And I said, are you going to pay me too? And uh, so we, we agreed upon that. I moved out there in 89, uh, spent a year there, 
learning the ins and outs of the auto industry at the corporate headquarters. And I got transferred to a regional office in Boston where I spent about five years out there and really uh, kind of formulated where I am today. And the main reason for that is because that's where I started homebrewing. Uh, so late 80s, early 90s is when craft beer really started becoming popular. Sam Adams popped up, uh, was making amazing products that I'm like, wow, beer actually tastes good. This is amazing. Uh, so I started homebrewing, making my uh, Boston Lager knockoff in a basement with my my roommate, Mark. So it was Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch uh, making some beer and uh, had a lot of fun. And uh, so then I moved back to, uh, got transferred, actually transferred from Boston to Arizona with another company called Mitsubishi Motors and opened up that office uh, there. Uh, we got four uh, new car distributors out there, which is really cool. Did that for a while and then moved back to Detroit in 97, wanted to start a business and uh, in the city of Detroit that I love. And that's when I walked into Atwater, which opened up in 1997. And uh, it was eye-opening. That was it. I walked in. I said, you know what? I want to be in the beer business, and I'd love to be a part of it through Atwater. And ended up becoming friends with the owners at that time, invested in 2002, and then bought it out in 2005. And the best part of that story is then I went home and told my wife uh, after the fact, honey, I got great news. Three young kids uh, quit the job, and uh, we own a brewery now. And she doesn't even drink beer. So that worked out really well. And uh, But those are the risks you take. And, uh, you know, she's okay with it now. So that's kind of how it started and uh, where, I, where we got to today. So uh, we can keep going on the future of that, but it at least gives you the, uh, the backstory. No, I appreciate that. And if I'm not mistaken, when you said I walked into Atwater, that was Atwater Brewery, which was on Atwater Street. Is that correct? Uh, it's actually on Joseph Campo, which is a block up from Atwater Street. And the name came from uh, Meet Me Atwater. And so for those that don't know, the city of Detroit uh, very much was a uh, pro pre-prohibition city where uh, they were rum running and bringing over uh, beer and booze over from Canada right at the, the a block away from our production facility. And so uh, it's got a long lineage of history from the, pre the Prohibition days. And so that's where the name came from, is Meet Me at Water. So the, uh, the Purple Gang and, and everybody else that was those ruthless gangs back in Prohibition, would, that's what they would use as their terminology to uh, bring in beer and, uh, and booze over from Canada. I did not know that story, but I had certainly been in there in the past. Uh, Brooke, what about you? Have I been there? Yeah. I have not. I'm sorry. I will go. <laughs> But I know all about Atwater. Of course, it's a very popular beer, and you do much more than that. But I want to ask you a quick question. Have you, did you always want to own your own company? Or, I mean, you went to school, you were in the auto industry, but did you have that always in the back of your mind that that's what you wanted? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I did not. And when I, I just wanted to get a job out of college, like a lot of college grads. And uh, what I found out fairly quickly is that, uh, that I didn't want to work for somebody else. It took me about a year and a half and then said, all right, I definitely don't want to do this for a career. I would like to work for myself. So at that point, then I started looking into opportunities and how to you know, achieve that, that goal. So uh, once again, goal setting, extremely important for everybody. And uh, it took me a little while to start setting those goals. It didn't happen right away. Part of that learning curve that we all figure out throughout the years. So no, I did not know uh, originally, but once I did, it was game on. So when you went to Atwater back in the beginning, was it because you 
immediately had an idea that you wanted to approach the owners? Did you even know them? I mean, were you just in there hanging out on a, on a happy hour, you know, enjoying your afternoon? Um, kind of, you know, give us a little bit more of how it actually, you know, transpired because you don't just show up with a checkbook or in 2021 some Bitcoin <laughs> and just, uh, you know, drop it on a table. So maybe talk a little bit about, you know, the details of that because I think a lot of our listeners, a lot of our viewers – have these ideas. They have their little things they want to do. We talk about side hustles. We talk about streams of income. We talk about, you know, um, live your best life, right? So these are things that we take very seriously, but you have to either A, put in the work, B, figure out the plan, or maybe C, you know, be at the right place at the right time, or maybe D, a combination of all of the above. So why don't you talk about, again, rather than just showing up at Atwater and uh, meeting me at the water, how yeah. did it kind of get into it? Yeah, it's like anything. I, I, started going there because uh, I liked beer and uh, they had a lot of it there. So, and very good beer. So and maybe uh, uh, Sherry, which is your wife, maybe with the three young kids at home, you're like, all right, I don't necessarily want to go home right now. I'm going to just stay <laughs> nice. here for one final final. <laughs> and I don't know if that's the truth or not, but we used to call it the final and then the final final. Remember those days? Yeah. Final, 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 yeah. final, final. Uh, the triple Lindy was definitely in play. Understood. No, no question about that. But yeah, it was, you know, it was a passion of mine and, and they were the, when Atwater originally uh, was founded in 97, they were the f uh, third permit in the state of Michigan to manufacture beer. So they changed laws in the mid-80s uh, mid and gave the ability for companies to actually produce beer in, in the state of Michigan. So uh, that was kind of cool. And they have a, uh, Atwater has a, a lineage of, of Germany, and I have a passion for German-style lagers. If, you know... If you think back to the city of Detroit had 40 production breweries pre-prohibition, 40, more than anywhere else in the country, including St. Louis, including Colorado, including Milwaukee. So yeah, we're, we're Motown, but we were beer town pre-prohibition. So uh, I, Stroh's, they stayed alive because they made ice cream during prohibition time. So they came back and came back strong. And so Atwater became, became itself because uh, the original founders wanted to bring back that German-style lager that Stroh's was making back in the 1800s. And I loved that passion. And the four original beers that were made out of that facility were all German-style lagers, all award winners at the Great American Beer Festival as well. And so that's why I really enjoyed going in there and, and had an opportunity to meet the people that were operating at the time and just had a conversation over time, buying kegs and pints of beer and said, hey, you're looking for investors? And, and they're like, yes, we are. Uh, it's very capital intense. And so it takes a lot of capex to run the, the facility. Uh, you have to buy equipment. It breaks down. You have to buy more equipment. It breaks down again. So that's kind of manufacturing. So it, that's how it started. And, and thank God I did that An initial investment. I was able to stay around the operations for three years and keep my eyes open. And uh, then it ended up eventually coming to an agreement and they, they were ready to move on, and I was ready to move in. I like it. It's so interesting because it seems like you being there at the brewery, right, it was, it was not only the beer, but it was also the atmosphere, right? It's kind of like, hey, it's like cheers, right, down at the, at the local bar, and it's more of like the atmosphere and just kind of enjoying that along with the uh, fabulous beer. Yeah, and like anything, though, you, you still have to run a business, and it's mm -hmm. got to be profitable, and, and I think that's one of the things that, I looked at in the beginning, I'm uh, very stubborn 
and making sure that I'm going to win. And I think that got me through the real lean years, which of course there are in any business cycle. Uh, but you got to go in eyes wide open if you're going to open up a business and you better be ready for anything that's going to happen. Um, and I think that that's one of the things that I wish I would have known a little bit more before going into it, but I figured it out and got through it and got through the lean years. But, uh, you know, any advice is make sure that you have a plan, make sure that your business plan is solid and God's sakes, make sure you got enough money in working capital. Look at your working capital calculation and then double it. And then, then you're ready to go. At the time also, it was, um, downtown Detroit still is right. One of the places, one of your facilities. And, um, it wasn't the Detroit of today. This was uh, back at a time when I think Detroit had some issues. And really, um, from the time that you became involved until, you know, I don't know, call it now, call it a few years ago, um, Detroit even went into bankruptcy, um, you know, several years ago after um, the events of 2008. So all of that to say, as you said, it wasn't some um, easy path of um, opportunity. So A, once you became involved, did you have to find yourself uh, some, you know, strategic partners, some investors, either to buy these other guys out to kind of, you know, take ownership yourself? And if so, who, you know, who taught you what you need to know? Who uh, did you align yourself with? Did you just kind of fake it till you make it? Kind of, again, talk to our audience about, uh, you know, what what research goes into it? What kind of, you know, what's the uh, approach and, and how did it happen? Yeah, it was, it was definitely not <clears throat> textbook. How do you buy a business slash open up a, a business scenario? Um, I mentioned before that I'm fairly stubborn and bullheaded, and uh, I knew that this is what I wanted to do. But I also looked at the financials and said, well, how the hell am I going to do it, right? And, and uh, at the time, I was, uh, I was lucky enough to be able to get some business lines of credit along with using all of my dollars that I've uh, socked away over the years and over about a year and a half span of time was able to get the sale price in line to what I had. And I did not have any investors other than the bank because the bank's an investor, right? But um, during 08, 09 and 2010, uh, I would have taken an investor loudly, please, somebody help me. Uh, but nobody was there, right? So you had to uh, bootstrap it. We had to close our tap house location for uh, a number of years because uh, that was a drain on our cash reserves. And we just had to pivot. We had to make different decisions and, uh, and survive the times, and we did. And I'm glad because I did not bring, not that I didn't want necessarily a, a partner, but when you have one voice, I think it's really important. And I think the listeners really need to understand that is when you have partners, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not. And so uh, having one voice, albeit maybe I didn't make all the right decisions, at least there was one decision. And we went one way versus trying to go three different ways. Totally get it. Uh, follow-up question to that is why don't you fast forward and tell us about at water now again all the different um, lines um, I there's a rumor of spirits right but again you started um, where it was but I want to know where it is now and then we're gonna go back and then you you know you developed this beer this one this one so you have more than one location now but let's just say it's back to that one location on meet me at water, right? Meet me at water. So uh, why don't we talk about like where we're at. So everyone out there who does know who at water is, 
really how impressive it is. So talk about where we're at now. Sure. So I think once we got past uh, 2010 uh, up to 2015, and 2015 is really when it kind of Atwater as a brand really started taking off. Uh, we, we have a beer that's called Dirty Blonde. Uh, it is our number one selling product, and it is about 65% of our overall sales. Uh, it wasn't always that way, but uh, what we found out is we had to find a horse. We had to find that product that was going to get us to the promised land versus having 20 products that are all about 6 or 7% of your sales. So uh, we found that out the hard way in those earlier years, but uh, when 2015 hit, we were able to get some great placements with, uh, with Meyer and Kroger in the state of Michigan. And uh, Michigan, being our home state, is such an important part. One of the things we also learned is we tried to go too far from our home base. And so we did the accordion effect and went out to 35 states, three countries, according it back to just the Midwest. So about 12 states in Canada. So we, we figured out that, uh, sure, I can ship beer to California, and it's cool that it's on a shelf out there, but it's about $4 more a six-pack than the local uh, beer distributor out there. So why try to ship beer too far away, make less margin, you know, own your home market. And if you own your home market, then you're going to be able to expand within a geographic area that makes sense and be profitable versus top. So we started looking at bottom line versus top line. Early years was all about top line. Um, so we we did that over the span of about three or four years, and uh, it just started blowing up. So we, we, we really excelled on understanding what our niche was and making a difference in those new markets and, and just riding Dirty Blonde and kind of getting us in some new markets like Comerica Park, for example. Uh, this was a great year for us. We did so well in Comerica Park. Dirty Blonde handles everywhere, plus our other products, but... I think the moral of the story on that one is we, we really, instead of, you know, trying to be everything to everybody, we wanted to be something to somebody. And that was really what got us to where we are today, focused our energy. Um, and then that helped other brands as we focused in on one of our main ones. Uh, so now we have probably about 15 all year round beers that we make, including seasonals. Uh, we, Four years ago, we had on the spirits, so we have a vodka, a gin, and a straight bourbon whiskey. Uh, we do distribute that in Michigan, and we also have it that at our tap rooms. Uh, we expanded our tap rooms. We have one in Gross Point, which is an old church we renovated and put a uh, cool brew house up on the altar. Uh, I'm Catholic, so I had to go to my priest and make sure it was okay. I didn't want to be struck dead at midnight here. Good call. Yeah. Good call, pal. Yeah. Or he actually came in and blessed the grounds. I Aww, know he did. Yes. I know he did. Absolutely. His comment was, hey, I like beer, and uh, monks have been doing it for centuries, so why would we not do that? So we repurposed a facility. We repurposed a facility in Grand Rapids. It used to be a, uh, an old hotel. We took the first floor of that in downtown uh, GR at the Rowe Hotel, and so that's pretty cool. We have a location in the north terminal at the airport. Uh Kicking, kicking butt there and having a lot of fun. Uh, it's lined up at 7 a.m. more than it is any year during the day because that's when all the uh, uh, the customers show up and they're ready to go on their flights at 7 a.m. to go to someplace warm and have a lot of fun. So they're ready to start their vacation a little early. Pre-gaming. Pre-gaming, baby. The younger generation calls that pre-gaming. Uh, is that what it is? That's what they You're call it. You're the younger it. generation. Right? Well, I'm a little bit younger than you, but uh, you know, we, have, we both have uh, kids in college and they can uh, advise us on the current terminology if you 
if you must. But um, the question on that is like, again, how do you find whether it's dirty blonde or find that skew, right? Is it, is it trial and error? Is it something that is just lightning in a bottle? Is it a combination? Like, you know, and we didn't even talk about if they're brewmasters and all kinds of, I mean, are there, you know, awards you have to win or you have to go to different places to learn things? Again, it's, you're, you're, it's very complicated, I know. So if you share a little bit about that, it'd be great. Yeah, sure. I, you know, having a, a great team and great people in any organization is, is critical, and, and we have that. Uh, and, and that's recipe writing. So we had to write a recipe for Dirty Blonde. Um, we have another product that's displayed here called Pogalicious IPA. Passion fruit, orange, and guava. Doesn't that sound good? It does sound good. Exactly. <laughs> what? Exactly, right? What? You don't drink that? Come on, Dewey. Let's I, go. I will after the show's over, okay? okay. Right. We will, we will uh, do a toast. We'll, we'll shotgun it. Sounds good. Okay. All right, so that's another product that's, in, that's newer. Uh, the IPA space, if people in craft beer, IPA is dominant still for like the last five or six years, the number one category within craft beer. Now, there's a lot of different IPAs, uh, and Michigan has some great ones. So this was our point of difference of having a fruit-forward IPA that's non-bittering. So you can drink it. It's got great flavor profile to it, but it doesn't have that lingering bitterness that some IPAs do. And for those that don't know, an IPA stands for? That is, really? Do you know that? (laughs) I'm just asking you if you do. Uh, That's an India Pale Ale. India Pale Ale. My man. Love it. (laughs) That's good. Fact check. That's it. Keep going. (laughs) For all the novices out there that aren't uh, fully paying attention, IPA, India Pale Ale. Well done. Uh, what does IBU stand for? I have no idea. Uh, that's International Bitterness Units. Oh. <laughs> See, keep going. I love it. It's fantastic. ABV? Alcohol by volume. Bam. Booyah. I Booyah. got it. One got out of, it. I saw one out of one. That's all I needed. 33%. Good job. Fantastic. Just kind of like school, right? It's I all love, good. I love it. <laughs> That's good stuff. So, you know, we experimenting was really important. The, the staff we have, we have a, an innovation brewer. Uh, he's actually out of our Grand Rapids location, Bob. And Bob just does a phenomenal job. We give him, say, hey, Bob, make this kind of beer. He writes a recipe. He brews it. We do a small batch of it. If it works, then we scale it up to our large facility, can it, keg it, and go. So, so how do you know if it works? Well, we, we, do, uh, we do our own research and then we we bring in groups so we'll, that's why we have three tap houses and we'll take at least a minimum of, of 90 days usually six months wow. put it on tap at those locations and see what the customers have to say get feedback and then if people are asking for it and coming in then we're like we got something here let's let's put it into rotation so that those are really important things is it, we, we talk about it all the time every day and I think this is true to a lot of different businesses is focus on your core while continue to innovate. And that's what's got us to where we are today is we, we've never lost focus on our core. A lot of what ha- happens is like, hey, Dirty Blonde's selling. I'm not going to worry about it anymore. Let's go focus on the other shiny nickels over here. And you lose focus on what you do well, right? And then, you're, then you've lost market share on your core and your innovation's not working. You're in trouble. And there's a, quite a few, few breweries that have gone under because of that. So how big is the competition now? It's pretty big, isn't it? I mean, for craft beer and... Yeah, it's it's ginormous. It is, right? Yeah. So, for example, we were the third permit. Atwater's the third permit in Michigan. There's 380 now. Uh, breweries in Michigan alone. There's over 8,000 nationally. So what happened, we, we saw the headwinds 
uh, about two and a half years ago, saw the competition, and as a regional brewer, you had the little guys nipping at your heels, the big ones smashing down on you. So we, uh, we partnered with Molson Coors June of last year. So we have a large strategic partner. Uh, I still run all the operations. Uh, they support us. They have large facilities that are able to, to really help us out uh, from a scale perspective and a distribution perspective. And so that's going to make Atwater uh, shine over the next four or five years and for years and years to come. They, I give this example. They, they did the same thing with Leinenkugels about 35 years ago, and the fourth-generation family still runs it today. Uh, so it's great. It's a really nice marriage, and, it, and it's, it's worked out really well for, for Atwater. So what about the pandemic? I know that took everyone, you know, every industry, right? I mean, it was, it's been pretty tough. We're still kind of in it. Um, but you kind of did a pivot there too, didn't you? We did. We had to. Uh, we, we had to pivot like everybody. Uh, and so right when that happened, because we were a distillery as well, we were able to uh, pivot and make hand sanitizer. And uh, that, was, that was really, uh, it was the right thing to do. And it was very fulfilling, especially in the beginning, because the, the frontline workers, the hospital workers, uh, uh, you know, the, the fire police couldn't get it. And so they were lining up at our door daily. And so that's all we did is the team that we were able to keep in place. We stopped making beer. We made hand sanitizer for 90 days. And that's all we did. And it was, uh, like I said, I look back, it's probably one of my most fulfilling times in my life uh, and my team's life because it, we were able to help. And that's what it's all about. We talk about community and giving back. We had a lot of success. So let's give back. And we were able to do that. People were lined up. I remember, I'm pretty sure you guys did a giveaway, right? And people were lined up. There were like 100 cars at a time yeah. waiting for that. Yeah, it was, it was pretty intense. And it was, uh, you know, we try to do our best. So we limit the number of, of bottles that we give to customers too when they were coming in. So just so everybody could get some. And, uh, you know, deliver to hospitals and, and, you know, the nurses would still come in and thank us and all that stuff. And that, that's just what you do. You got to help out. They're on the front lines. They're the they're the heroes. We were just trying to help. Right. And I think that's, that's really, really rewarding, but that's all about what, why I wanted to, one of the reasons I wanted to start a business in the city of Detroit was to give back. And, and we're all about community and that was very rewarding. So what about, uh, can you address the idea of pivoting? Because some companies maybe would not have done that, right? They would have just said, okay, we'll just wait it out. I mean, but you said, you know, making a difference in the community is huge to you. So what do you say to business owners out there who may once again have to pivot at some time? Be ready, because you're probably going to have to do it. Uh, and I think that if you don't think you're going to have to pivot, it's going to happen. And so have a plan. Uh, I think that, you know, through this pandemic, I think we've all learned a lot. And, and I think that's one of the main things is be prepared. Be prepared for anything. And in business, you really need to be prepared because something might happen. You know, the economy is going to tank again. It always does, Right. What are you going to do? How are you, are you set up for that? You guys know all about that. Dewey knows all about that. That's what he does. You know, he, you know, counsels his, his uh, customers and his clients on how to manage your money. And it's the same thing in the business world is we have to manage our money smart. Not only that, we have to manage our, our manpower and labor. We have to, uh, we have to be ready for, for that next downturn. And how are you going to pivot? You know, we, we actually did that probably three times over the last 15 years and did a pretty significant pivot. And that 
is why we're still here today. Hey guys, it's Brooke. I want to take a minute to talk to you about Dewey Stefan and his great team at Great Lakes Wealth. Do you feel overwhelmed managing your assets? Well, Great Lakes Wealth offers Wall Street solutions with Main Street values. That is really what they are all about. They will help you develop a custom financial plan utilizing all of your assets and keeping your goals in mind. That is what Great Lakes Wealth is all about, helping you and your family achieve your financial dreams. So go to greatlakeswealth.us to schedule an appointment today and tell them Brooke sent you. I can vouch for the fact that you are all about community. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on today, Mark, because you've been a friend of mine, you know, going back to the year 2002, give or take maybe about 20 years now. Unbelievable. We haven't aged a bit, my man. Amen. Um, but with that, you, you were generous to pivot into the hand sanitizer at the um, height of the pandemic. Absolutely. And those, um, you know, those um, stories are documented. Absolutely. But also you had to pivot just in terms of the business in general. Um, people were staying at home. They might have been drinking more. This was a big thing that was taboo. Drinking more alcohol at home, drinking uh, less alcohol out. Um, people were um, partaking in marijuana and cannabis more. Uh, I want to talk about, A, in terms of what you saw in terms of, I don't know, revenues, sales, your business, your core business, the dirty blonde line, if you will, and how it went from, um, you know, when pre-pandemic until during pandemic to post-pandemic, kind of what what did happen during those times? And then more importantly, going forward, uh, sharing with our audience where you see things going the next few years. Let's talk about your current SKUs. Mm -hmm. And then I want to get into the future, talk about seltzers. I know you have a few. I want to talk about that business. I want to talk about infused cannabis into cocktails, whatever's next uh, and the next frontier beyond that. I just love your, uh, you know, your ideas on pivoting back then and pivoting in the future. Good. Yeah. And we did, we had to pivot, you know, regardless of what we had to do with the hand sanitizer, we had to move on with our business and, and it's an understatement. And if, if I told you how much product was sold in, for example, the Meyer and Kroger stores, the big box stores, where people would walk in, they would grab the biggest format possible, 12 packs, 24 packs of, if we're just talking about beer, forget about everything else, as they were grabbing it in the center aisle, checking out and leaving. They were not uh, going to the beer aisle and saying, wow, which six pack would I like? I'm going to experiment. Just give me the bulk and I'm out. And so that happened, you know, boom, like that. And so we had to pivot as an industry. We ran into aluminum problems. We ran out of cans because so many people were buying cans. For us, it hurt us even more because 40% of our business is keg sales to bars and restaurants. That was gone. So we lost all of that business and we had to pivot everything to package product. Uh, difficult. Uh, we had to lay some people off. Extremely difficult for me personally. Uh, so that, that hurt, but we knew we had to do it to tighten the belts, to get through the lean times. And the amount of product that we sold in off-premise, off-premises considered Meyer Kroger and, and liquor stores, uh, the on-premise is the bars and restaurants. So our on-premise business went to zero off-premise, so that we lost about 35%, 40% there. We gained about 25% in the off-premise. So there's a little bit of a, you know, a gap there uh, in, in our, our 
keg business to bars and restaurants is a little bit more profitable than the package business because we don't have to buy all the package materials, right? So, so our margins were squeezed and we lost top line revenue. So we had to really pivot fast. And uh, we did. We got through it. Uh, we brought the people back that we had to lay off, which is awesome. Very excited about that. Uh, so, so where we are today is the on-premises come back. The bar- bars and restaurants are open again. Yep. They're doing extremely <laughs> well. So, but what happened was is Mark, when, are they at yeah, the same pre-pandemic levels? Because I know a lot of the bars and restaurants until just recently, half capacity, three quarters capacity, not open till two a.m., shut at eleven. Things are kind of coming back online. I don't think they're fully online yet in terms of those numbers I just mentioned. But maybe in terms of sales, you know, they are. But so, where are you in terms of you know year over year or you know year over two years ago? I guess would be the comparison. Yeah, we look at 2019. So we're, we're not at 2019 levels yet. We're still probably about 12% below that. But uh, no, it's not back. And uh, the labor pool is the biggest problem. You have places that are not open on Mondays and Tuesdays. They shut early. You don't have enough people. So we all know about that. That's been the national media forever. I know you saw our recent podcast, The Great Resignation. And we talked all about <laughs> that, Mark. And uh, let's not talk about it today. Yep. But it's certainly something we need to deal with. Yeah, we don't need to talk, but that is, that was part of the reason why. And so we're, I would say, you know, over the next six months, hopefully, depending on what happens, say, you know, things go in the right direction from a from a pandemic perspective, then yes, I think we're going to be back to not only next year, not only at 2019 levels, but beyond that. Because what we saw is when they opened it up, people came out and they came out in droves and they wanted to be out and they want to be out for the right reason. They wanted to enjoy themselves. The summer was crazy. Uh, you know, we have outdoor locations and every night our outdoor spots were, 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 were bumping and having a good time. And, you know, I think that we'll get back to that barring anything crazy that happens by spring of next year. And plus you had Comerica this year. Comerica right? was great. We, we did really well. I mean, obviously their, their numbers were not 2019 as, as far as attendance, but it sure was better mm-hmm. and people were out and they were drinking and <laughs> having a lot of fun. So, and it was nice. The Tigers had a good year, you know, I think that's, it's encouraging Man, do we need a team to win. Did you say the Tigers had a good year? <laughs> well, <did>. for them. <laughs> I mean, seriously? Dewey, for them? I mean, come on. Hey, for them, if that's the bar. It's okay. not the bar. For, no. Leave that bar and go to the bar. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no disrespect to our Tiger faithful. We love you guys, Detroit <laughs> yeah. Tigers. You know, restore the roar. We're all about that. Talk about then uh, going forward. You have um, seltzers. You have new product lines like these Spirits. So what is uh, going to drive the train in the future alongside that uh, behemoth of Dirty Blonde? Yeah, so seltzers are, they've been the big, the big hit of the last three or four years, right? So uh, you had the, the, big, the big behemoths of nationally that, that came in and, and White Claw and Truly. And so what we did is in 2019, August 2019, we came out with our own. We wanted to be that local seltzer. Did extremely well. And so we're still there. We've run into some production issues. So we have, we've been out of market for probably 90 days, but we're coming back in on the seltzer side. But we're also coming back in, which is a hot, the hot, even hotter now is the RTDs, the ready-to-drink cocktails, i.e. the high nooners. I was going to say that high noon. That's the, okay. that's the word. They own the market, right? <laughs> so uh, we're going to take a dip out of that. We have some new uh, ready-to-drink cocktails being launched in March called Raised. And so we're excited about that. So our part of our mantra and on our logo says born in Detroit, raised everywhere. 
So that's where that name came from. So we're going to have a vodka lemonade and a pog, Pogalicious uh, uh, ready to drink cocktail. So a vodka, vodka seltzers. So that's exciting. That's coming out in March. Uh, and then we have our city juice, hazy IPA. That's our, those are our three, three big bets for next year. Uh, and then you had mentioned something that's going to be very unique. And as soon as the government uh, approves cannabis nationally, it says it's legalized, which is going to happen, may not be for a year or two or whatever it is. The vehicle that that's going to be in is going to be in a beverage. And it, it's not going to be now, but when it happens and it will, that is going to be huge. And so just wait on that one. Now, in CBD, too, you're going to have CBD-infused beverages as well. That'll be sooner than THC. So I would imagine the partnership, and again, it's a strategic partnership, and from a business show, uh, Molson Coors, um, having a strategic partnership, I understand the um, the uh, you know scalability, the benefits there, I believe, but with new products, new innovation, uh, bringing a new line on like seltzers or raise, is that what it is? Raised. Raised raised everywhere, um, you get either the intellectual capital from Molson Coors, uh, certainly some of the, the dollars necessary, but A, how much time and how much money goes into, I don't know, the R&D or from concept to production of any of these that we're talking about today? Quite a bit. And it, we, take, we take a look at about a six-month uh, period of time. That's typical for a new item. And that's from concept, uh, research, uh, testing, uh, getting all of our uh, all of our materials together from the look and feel. So we got we have that that process in place, and we have a whole team that has to go through it from A to Z before we make that decision. It all starts with the liquid, so we have to make sure that liquid is good. And so once we decide that, then we go through the whole process of uh, with alcohol beverages, we have to go to the government. Government has to approve all of our labeling. So that takes, you know, a month to go through that process. They're going to come back with some wordage that you have to change this or that. And so and then the state has to approve it um, in each state that you're in. And so once you have all all of the compliance done, then you can go ahead and start uh producing cans and six-pack carriers and mother cartons and all those things. As we all know, supply chain is crazy right now. So this is no different, and it's taken us even longer to try to get to market on a new product. So it's probably six to eight months right now. Do you have enough cans? <laughs> we, we, we are good with our strategic <laughs> partnership. It really helped out with that, uh, right? with that aluminum <laughs> shortage that we had. Big shortage. Can yes. you talk about that though? And is uh, this shortage going to end uh, soon? Do from what you see or your specific involvement in it, do you think it's going to continue into 2022? And how far into there? And the bigger question is inflation. Have you had to raise your prices? Are um, your material providers raising their prices? Where do you see inflation? A as a business owner, but also just as a you know, student of the business world. Yeah, it's not good. Uh, it's not good in, in all aspects. If, you know, you started our tap house and, and the price increases we've had with our large food purveyor over the last six months are uh, astonishing to be, you know, some, some things have gone up 100%. And you can't just flip a switch and change uh, the price to your customers that are coming in. So that's difficult. Uh, we're finalizing our pricing for 2022 right now for all of our items 
and uh, th- th- we were, we're going to have to go up. We don't have really have an option. I mean, we have to we have to continue to hit, hit some margins, right? So, uh, and I think everybody's going to be going up. It's just the nature of the business right now across the board. All of our pricing is going to be going up. Uh, you know, January first, February first. So you might want to throw some year-end coupons out there, <laughs> a little uh, deal du jour maybe. I don't know, front load the sales, um, gift cards. I don't know, just some ideas out there, strategic as they might be, tactical. Maybe that's the better word. Yeah, maybe a maybe a Dewey card. Ooh, oh. I like that. Tell them Dewey sent you for 5% off. Boom. Brooks sent you 10%, 10% off. 10% off. Yeah, there you go. You know what I right. mean? That's what I would do. Um, what about future ideas, whether it's for yourself as an entrepreneur, as a businessman? Um, you know, what's next for uh, Mark Reith, the Reith family? Um, when you do something, are you going to, um, you know, share with your wife ahead of time and ask for permission? Or are you just going to bring it home and uh, tell her to sign on as a co-borrower? Or, um, you know, again, whether it's um, at water specific or just in general, what, um, you know, what do you see in the next, I don't know, five to 10 years of your life, company's life, the world as you know it? Yeah, you know, world domination. Oh, I love it. Yeah, and that's what we do every day. Start in the D. Start in the D, yes. So I have uh, a couple other companies. One is... uh, Rivertown Holdings, and that is a real estate holding company. So I do own the real estate where the, the brewery is in. We, we have some land as well, and we're gonna, we have some exciting exciting things that we're going to ha- have uh, come to the forefront, hopefully, in the next couple of years. we got to look at construction costs and such, but uh, uh, real estate is, is near and dear to my heart as well. And so uh, we'd like to do some really fun things, uh, not only personally from a business perspective, but also community-based as well in the city. Uh, we're, we're looking at some fun stuff like that. I'm a coach at heart. Uh, I haven't coached in like two years. It's, it's killing me. So I'm a, can't wait to get back out there and coach some hoops. So that's from a personal perspective. It's definitely something I'm going to be doing here in the next couple of years. Uh, I have to get back out to the hardwood. I can't play anymore. So I got to coach, man. Brooke, mm. back in the day, mm. this guy, Mark and I, boy, you should have seen Is us that how together. You met? We met on the on the hardwood of the DAC. That's Detroit Athletic Club for all of you uh, home gamers. And uh, I will uh, vouch for the fact that Mark, back in the day, he had ups and he had the finger roll for the finish. That's right. So Tip this, in, baby. This guy could make it happen. But uh, I think that's fantastic, Mark. Um, let's talk about um, something about our show that is specific. It's the What Do We Do podcast. Okay. But um, there's a segment that we're going to enter into now called What Mark Do. And what that means, Mark, is what would you tell 18-year-old Mark or other 18-year-olds out there today um, based upon your life's experience? With that, let's enter the What Mark Do zone. Is there any music associated with this? Yes. That's all I wanted right there. Well, it, yeah. I mean, we all learn a lot, right? And if we can you know, dial the clock back. Uh, I think there's definitely some things that, that we do differently, but you know, for me and, and just kind of talking to an 18 year old, I love having that conversation because I have one at home. That 18 year old doesn't listen to me. The ones that do that want to be involved and have passion. I think there's, this is the biggest thing that I can say about it. I used to be the proponent is if you have passion for something, there's nobody that can tell you, you can't do it. And I'm still a firm believer of that, right? You can go through brick walls and you're going to be able to make it happen. That's how I got where I was today is that I wanted to have a brewery. I wanted to have a business and I just 
kept going. And I was not going to have anybody tell me no. That's a big part of it. But I also look at it too, and I, this was somebody that, that told me this story, and, and you might have a passion for something, but that doesn't mean that it has to be your day-to-day job, right? So if you're good at something, go for that. And then if you have a passion, spend your time with that passion. So I think if you're an 18-year-old right now and you're saying, what do I want to do with my life? Well, first of all, what are you good at? And go after that. And if you're really good at something, you're going to be successful. And if you're successful, you're going to be able to spend a lot of time with the passion that you want to do in your life. So those are the things that if I would have gone back, I would have looked at it that way a little bit differently. I like that. I think uh, that's true. And I appreciate uh, that comment. Is this actually (laughs) your profile? Is this you or is this... uh you know, is this, I mean, I don't know, is this the uh, original owner or uh, what, you know, I, I get what it is, but it's tell me what it is. <laughs> so that is the, uh, the brood in Detroit guy. I could say guy could be anybody, but you know, brood in Detroit person. So, you know, if you take a look at Detroit, right, it's hardworking, blue collar, and the person has a hard hat on, right? So it was a hard day at work and then raising a pint after a hard day's work saying, let's go. And so that, that kind of encompasses our, our, our brand, who we are, what we're all about. It's, you know, hardworking beer for hardworking people. Let's end on, you know, some of your personal successes. Uh, this should, um, you know, be up there if I'm, um, you know, talking as you. But besides that, um, family successes, other, um, you know, important moments in your life that uh, we can just kind of uh, end on today and let our uh, viewers, our listeners kind of, again, take a back and understand and listen. And we're hoping we can raise some folks up today and encourage them to follow their dreams. But as you said, with the what Mark do moment, just because it's your passion, if it's not really what you're good at, you might as well start with what you're good at, right? So that's a great balance. But um, let's leave today our audience, those that are younger, that are trying to get a little motivated, but also those that are older that are trying to figure out what's next. What, uh, why don't you tell us about a few of your personal accomplishments and whether those are a business you know, or pleasure? Well, I think a lot of it goes back to uh, Little League. And I learned a lot personally uh, back in Little League and coaching both. Um, and it's perseverance. You know, I mean, these are not cliches. These are reality. You know, and I think that, you know, it's... This is one of the things I've always believed in in my whole life and have gone through it too. And that's, you define yourself in difficult times and there's been a lot of them, right? And what are you going to do? Are you going to crawl in a corner or are you going to come out fighting? And I think that's, that's what I'm, especially the youth of today, listen, it's okay to lose. It's okay to get knocked down, but what are you going to do? You're going to come back out and fight in a good way. And that's what I really want to, if I could, impart to any of the, especially the youth of today, you know, and even, even the older ones that have said, you know what, I've had my career, I'm retired. What does that mean? What do you want to do with the rest of your life? Like, I don't understand retirement to me that, that, that word is never going to be in my vocabulary. I'm just going to go do the next thing. Right. So, you know, go find that next passion, go find that next thing that you're really good at and go after that and go have fun enjoy every day. Why, why are we doing this? You know, I, I love to play golf. Doesn't mean I don't want to play every day. I want to go win at the next, the next thing that Mark wants to do. And there's some things that I don't even know yet. And I think that that's, if we continue to think that way in our lives, how much more exciting we're going to have. So there you go. Appreciate that. 
um, after all of your successes, yeah. after all of you've accomplished, I know that you're actually just on par with our podcast, which is we are 49 episodes in, Mark Reith. Brooke Allen. Mm -hmm. And as we always say here to What Do We Do Podcast, Mark, I want to thank you so much for coming in today. And as we always say, you've been doing it a long time, Mark, (laughs) but just getting started. Cheers. Cheers. The opinions expressed in this program are for general information purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or any specific security. It's only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. Any indices referenced for comparison are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. As always, please remember investing involves risks and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional.